You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome again to the Revision Path Podcast. I'm Maurice Cherry. And I've got a great interview coming up with D'Artagnan Winford, the art director at Jackson State University. But first, let's talk about our sponsors. First up, there's MailChimp. MailChimp is the premier email marketing provider for entrepreneurs and small businesses. They make sending email fast and easy, and best of all, it's free to sign up. Head over to MailChimp.com and try it out today. Next up is Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. One of the neat things about Hover is that they have a huge variety of domain extensions. So you can get .me, .club, .guru, and hundreds more, including country codes. Uh, Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code 50episodes. That's five zero episodes, all one word. Uh, That code is going to expire at the end of this month, so don't delay on that. Oh, and there's also our survey. I want you to go to revisionpath.com forward slash survey Fill that survey out, and you'll be eligible to win a $100 Amazon.com gift card. We really, really, really need your feedback, so please take the survey and let me know your thoughts on how we can really improve and grow Revision Path. All right, let's get on with the show. So when I asked D'Artagnan Winford about the beauty of doing branding for an HBCU, here's what he had to say. But that's the beauty of working at an HBCU, especially one that, that does not have that face yet you can kind of make it what you want it to be you know as, as opposed to working at a maybe a, you, you know a michigan or a mississippi state or something like that who whose brand standards are kind of been set this is revision path let's go all right so tell us who you are and what you do i am d'artagnan winford i am an art director at jackson state university located in jackson mississippi now Tell me a little bit about what that entails. Like, what's an average day like for you as an art director there? Average day is pretty hectic. <laughs> I, <laughs> I manage about seven freelancers okay. along with a student worker. And an average day can range from a print ad to a web banner to something for sports, you know, uh, basketball, football posters, you know, things like that, or sometimes uh, directing photo shoots. So. And so you're doing this for the entire university? Correct. Pretty much. I, I guess when I, when I think about you know, universities, I guess particularly even HBCUs, I don't really know if there's a lot of, and you can probably correct me on this, but there's usually a lot of, I guess, creative and design work that comes out of HBCUs. Um, you, you may be right. I don't think a lot of HBCUs in the past put a lot of emphasis on that type of thing. Before I came here, I was senior graphic designer at Mississippi Valley State University, and they didn't have a, a, uh, a graphic designer for, for years. They, n- they had never had one. Matter of fact, I was the first one. Um, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, it's a small school. Playing the fame is Jerry Rice, a uh, school he went to. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they didn't have anybody. So I came in. I was hired by a lady named Renell Franklin. And uh, she brought me in, and we just pretty much revamped the look, the feel, and just everything. And, you know, it took some getting used to. A lot of people were used to doing things on their own, their brochures and their posters and stuff. And, you know, we kind of had to just guide them and teach them and let them know that, hey, this, here's a better way of doing this. Mm-hmm. So you kind of came and set the design standard, <clears throat> essentially. Yes, pretty much. And you're an MVSU alum also, I right? I am. I am. What did you study while you were there? Uh, my major was visual communications with an emphasis in public school art. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, pretty much graphic design. So, you know, just the gamut of design programs and uh-huh. drawing classes and just things like that. You said public school art? Yes. Uh, what, is, what is that particularly? Public school art basically would have allowed me to teach in public school, a public school okay. setting. And that, that was like my plan B, you know, just in case. Okay. The design world didn't work out for me. I got you. So it's sort of like an education type of, cool. type of thing. Exactly. Right. And I think it's also important to note that uh, MVSU is actually a fairly new university yep. in terms of when you think about the lineage of, of HBCUs. It's like a little bit over 60 years old, right? That's correct. That's correct. 
So fairly new. I think it's the the newest HBCU in Mississippi mm-hmm. in 1950. Cool. So correct. Okay. Now, one thing that I work with, I work with AIJ with their diversity and inclusion task force. And so one of the things that we do is, or that I'm doing is a lot of HBCU outreach, mm-hmm. like reaching out to HBCU so we can start AIGA student groups there. And I know I talked to someone or I'm trying to talk to someone at Mississippi Valley State. But one thing that I've noticed from reaching out to a lot of HBCUs, uh, a lot of them don't really have an arts program in play. Mm-hmm. Which is is more than I thought. I, I mean, I looked at you know the list of all HBCUs. And I think a little bit, about half of them didn't even have an arts program at all. And of the ones that did, their arts program is pretty small. Mm-hmm. They're not really that connected with AIGA. And then when I think about you know just art school in general, and you think about designers and how art school is, or at least an art major, an art degree is sort of a big part of your your proving grounds as being a designer. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder, like, are black designers that go to HBCUs, are they starting at a deficit because of that? What do you think? I think it depends on what school you go to. Uh-huh. School I went to is relatively small and has gotten smaller, and so is the, uh, the art program. Uh, however, I think, I know, I know I said I think it's the school you go to, but also I think it depends on the person. When I got to Valley, I met two, they were upperclassmen, I think they might have been juniors or sophomores, but I met two guys and we pretty much clicked. And whereas our department was small, we didn't have the fastest computers. As a matter of fact, we had the uh, six, Mac, uh, Apple 6600s. So we all had this computer that I would call the supercomputer <laughs> that mm-hmm. you would kind of wait on, you know, wait for someone to finish. But me and those guys clicked up and we kind of fed off each other. You know, if they would learn something, they would share with me and I would learn something, I would share with them. And I think because of that camaraderie, we, we helped each other a lot, you know. So, yeah, I think it depends on the individual and it, it can also depend on the school. Take Jackson State, for mm-hmm. instance. Jackson State has a pretty strong art program preferably in visual communications or graphic design. Yeah, so I, I think it's, it's, pretty, it's based on the, the person and the school. I got you. Like, especially if you have, I think, good faculty that will help you out. I think that also really helps. Too. Exactly. Um, one of the guys that kind of sparked us, there was a former student at Valley named Jerry Redman who mm-hmm. went off to the Memphis College of Art, and he came back to teach at Valley. And... Uh, I didn't actually take his class, but he was my seminar teacher, and he sparked just something in us. You know, uh, he came back. He was doing things using uh, After Effects and Premiere and things like that, and you know, we were we were wild by that. You know, we were comic book kids, and we just I know for me myself, I always wanted to see my work move and you know things like that. So seeing him come back, showing us the things you can do, just really helped us. You know, so. Now, now let's go back to your work that you're doing at um, at Jackson State. Mm-hmm. You say that you're managing several freelancers. You're managing a student worker. Tell me about how you approach products. What's your your methodology when it comes to that? Give me an example of a product. I guess. I don't know. Let's say something for the the website. Like you're you're doing a web project. Hmm. What is my methodology? The way I usually work is when projects come in. I have certain freelancers who pretty much specialize in certain things. I have two freelancers who are full-time. Either they run their own business or they're, like, one girl, she's a stay-at-home mom. And, okay. And uh, she's usually, like, my right arm, like, whenever I need anything. But basically, with, with some, some of my freelancers, I can give them something and just give them an idea. Hey, this is what I want this to look like, you know. Or, mm-hmm. hey, I, sometimes I'll send them something that I've done and say, take this and build this web banner or this slider graphic off of this, you know. And sometimes I'll send them my PSD file and Mm -hmm. just kind of work off of that. With some others, I may have to guide a little bit. But for the most part, most of my freelancers are pretty seasoned, and my job is pretty easy working with them. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but... Well, I mean, I guess it, it also will, I guess, depend on the project, mm-hmm. too, right? Like it's a, like you say, some stuff is banners, some stuff is web, web work. Mm-hmm. It really varies. But yeah. it sounds yeah. to me, though, that the freelancers that you work with 
have a pretty good initiative. They, so you don't really have to give them a whole lot of direction. Exactly. I mean, there are very few times when I have to send it back and say, hey, do this. or And, and there's some, you know, some standards that I've set because even here, I'm like the first. I'm not really the first designer here, but when I came in, I had to start with a fresh plate because there was nothing in place. So mm-hmm. uh, even here, it's, it's kind of like starting over from Valley again, you know. So I got you. There, there are standards that I've kind of set, and most of my freelancers, they see it, and they, they can kind of pick them up, you know. Like, you know, he likes the logo here, or he likes right. this there, so. Well, I think it, it uh, you know, just based on what you're saying, that it sounds like you have that sort of unique, or you've had two unique opportunities to really come in somewhere and sort of set the standard, yeah. as opposed to when a lot of designers come into a place, they have to really work with, what the, the, the agency or the company already has in place, mm-hmm. you're kind of coming in and setting your own standards and saying we're doing stuff this way because you're the, not the first, but you're, you're the lead, essentially. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the beauty of working at an, an HBCU, especially, Jackson State is pretty old. Jackson State is about, Jackson State was founded in 1877. Um, okay. But they did not have an image before I came. Mm-hmm. I actually started freelancing for Jackson State before I came to work here. And I was okay. able to kind of build that branding or start that the catalyst for that branding then. But that's the beauty of working at HBCU, especially one that, that does not have that face yet. You can kind of make it what you want it to be, you know, as, as opposed to working at a maybe, a, you, you know, a Michigan or a Mississippi State or something like that who whose brand standards are kind of been set. You know, you kind of just mm-hmm. kind of just a widget maker. You're kind of making making things like the next one. Nothing is new in a sense, you know. So having worked at two HBCUs, I'm sure you have a very unique perspective when it comes to working, you know, doing graphic design and such in the fields of of higher education. So what have you learned from both your experiences? Like if someone wanted to get into doing design work for a university, what sort of lessons would you give them? Well, one thing I would say is working here... In, in working here, you, you will get a chance to touch a lot of stuff as opposed to maybe working at an agency where just say you're only the print guy, you know, or you're only the web guy. Working at an HBCU or a college, you get a, t- you get a chance to touch a lot of stuff from web to print to motion to being on the actual photo shoot, you know, to directing the photo shoot. You get a chance to meet a lot of people, you know. You know, people come through uh, at Valley. We would have BB King who would come through every summer. You know, okay. I designed a uh, matter of fact, we had a BB King recording studio there, and I designed a logo for it and got a chance to get him to autograph it. Nice. Yeah, here at Jackson State, we have people like Cornell West, Spike Lee coming through, Magic Johnson's coming through soon. So you, you get a chance to get a lot of experience, a lot of exposure because you're designing stuff for these events. And, and you also, for the most part, get a lot of creative say so. You know, because nobody's really trying to tell you what to do because they really don't know, you know, and you're pretty much the you're pretty much the go to guy for design, anything creative. So uh, mm-hmm. those are the those are the positive things. Some of the negative things are some of the turnarounds, you know, because essentially you're an in-house designer, you know, so some of the turnaround times aren't as favorable as you would like. But what what it teaches you to do is it teaches you to, to work fast and efficient and you don't waste a lot of time choosing different things and, and maybe because of my experience there are just certain things I know in my mind like that I'm going to use you know certain fonts certain images certain textures you know to make the project work now I've interviewed another designer that's that's nearby you mm-hmm. in Jackson Mississippi uh-huh. tell me a little bit like what's the design scene like there is there a design scene there not as I know of the only people I frequent are my freelancers. Okay. And um, like I said, they they kind of specialize in different things. I don't I don't know of a, a design scene here. There is an art culture here. There's several. I mean, Jackson's a unique place. You have, I mean, with it being in Mississippi, you have it, it has a rich arts culture anyway, with the blues and you know mm-hmm. things like that. And you have your, like I said, I'm pretty sure there isn't a design culture somewhere, but I haven't noticed it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I've only been here a year now. So Okay. So yeah. So you're still kind of feeling it out, so to speak. Exactly. Well this could be this could be another opportunity for you to kind of come in somewhere. That's and... true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> kind of set the stage there. That's true. I'm also a um 
I guess you call me an amateur photographer. And uh, there's more of that culture here. There, there are a lot of photographers here, a lot of people I hang out with. And so I do know that scene pretty well, like who's who photographer-wise, you know. Okay. Yeah, the, actually, the other designer that I interviewed, she's a photographer as well. Who was she? Nikki Norwood. Nikki Norwood. I don't... Um, her company is Infinite Inc. Ah. In Jackson. You should check her out. Nikki Norwood. Is she on Facebook? think so yeah she should yeah yeah she's on facebook okay, i'll check her out nikki norwood she does a lot of event photography uh-huh. like like music photography tour photography stuff like that i see her i'm looking on facebook now okay yeah. all, right. all right so tell me a little bit about i guess before you really started at at mvsu did you have any mentors or anything that really helped you along the way that encouraged you to really get into this field it's interesting. I my I'll give you my I guess my my beginning. Okay. I was enrolled in gifted art classes from like eighth grade until twelfth grade, and I would say my first art mentor would have been my dad. He and I used to draw a lot. We would draw like horses and big mass ships and stuff like that. But uh, mm-hmm. in school, my gifted art teacher was named Donald Parker. And he would always challenge me, you know, because just like most people, you know, most young people, you get lazy. And he's the one that kind of encouraged me to go and major in art. And because he would tell me about the program that was at Valley when he was there, the art program. He, of course, he was a painting major, though. But the program was uh, really unique then. They would take them to on trips to Europe and, you know, they would get go to the Louvre and get to visit the, you know, the different museums and stuff and see all the, the, all the classic art and stuff like that. So I would say, besides my dad, he would have been my first mentor. And I still see him from time to time now. And from there, once I got to Valley, it would, would have been Jerry Redmond. And he's the guy I told you who came back and he, he taught there for a little while. And my other mentor would be uh, my friend, good friend of mine, John McCall. Okay. John, John and my uh, meeting was kind of interesting. I remember coming out of high school thinking I was, uh, you know, top stuff. You know, I'm getting on campus, you know, thinking, hey, nobody can draw better than me or whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and uh, I see this kid walking around with this big drawing, this big portfolio. And I'm like, who is that? So I, I go to talk to him. And I ask him, you know, hey, let, let me see what you got in your portfolio. And he pulls out this big comic board of Magneto floating in the air with his hand outstretched and the mm-hmm. X-Men and cards are just tumbling over, you know. And uh, I was like, wow. So he, he kind of sunned me right there. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll bow down. <laughs> <laughs> I will bow down. And uh, I talked to John like every day, matter of fact. It's like clockwork. But he's one of the guys I kind of bounce stuff off of uh, when I'm designing. Hey, hey, John, take a look at this. You know, let me know what you mm-hmm. think. And uh, I really respect him as a designer. I would say those are my mentors, and there are other people I've met met along the way that kind of did something to spark spark me a little bit to, uh, I guess, pursue it more. I remember doing an intern, a place called the John Richard Collection, and they make a lot of high-end furniture. And my intern was not really graphic design-based. I was really, like, painting flowers that came off this big Glee Clay printer. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember coming in one day and... My director is a guy named Jim Seal. And Jim is like Syracuse educated and, you know, real good guy, though. And Jim was like, hey, D, you, uh, our graphic designer quit last night. I mean, uh, yesterday. And uh, he was like, uh, you think you can fill in for him? And I said yes, even though I knew I didn't know any layout programs. My knowledge ranged from Illustrator to Photoshop at the time. Mm-hmm. And I told him, yeah. So he, he got me set up and I went in and. Um, pretty much just started taking the guy's files apart and learning Cork Express that way. And it was pretty good. And that kind of led me to just say, hey, look, let me go ahead and finish school. And I think I can make a living doing this, you know, because I was getting paid. My intern was free, but I went from that to getting paid to be the graphic designer for that company. And that was pretty cool. So I, I really appreciate Jim for that, that opportunity and just, you know, me being able to seize it also. Did you always want to be an artist or, or work with, with graphic design? Honestly, I didn't know what graphic design was when I was in high school. Uh, uh-huh. I, always, I was always able to draw and just, you know, see things. And I always, like I said, I grew up reading comic books and watching cartoons and, you know, Transformers, He-Man, stuff like that. And I, I loved the way that stuff looked. And I think I originally wanted to be like a, an animator, you know. And I remember 
being in high school and uh, it's my senior year. I'm talking to Mr. Parker and I asked him, like, what, what kind of things can I do? What can I major in? And he told me, he gave me this book. And I'm reading a book and the book was called uh, Art Jobs or something like that. But anyway, mm-hmm. I'm looking at the book and, you know, I see graphic designer and I see what a graphic designer does. And I said, I think that's what I'll do. You know, so then I got to looking and I found out that Valley had that program. So I was like, uh, uh, that's what I'm going to major in. And now that I think about it before that, I remember being in a uh, computer science class in high school. And when we would get done with our work, I would take programs like Microsoft Paint or whatever that's called. And mm-hmm. I would design NBA logos. I was a big NBA fan. I would design the logos. And like I remember doing the Dallas Mavericks old logo with the hat. And I did the logo for... Uh, the Atlanta Fal- I mean Atlanta Hawks and you know stuff like that. And like I said, I was using paint, so I guess I was kind of playing around with it at the time and didn't really know it. Cool, cool. I mean, I think that it's it's really good that you kind of always had that spark for it mm-hmm. and that you were able to, I guess, really nurture it through meeting different people and working. Like you said, you're in a gifted arts program and then meeting up with people in college and stuff. And it makes me think about kids that, you know, probably also have that same spark that might not necessarily get that mm-hmm. that same type of, of focus, you know, yeah. which is which is kind of why I think, you know, it's really important not just, you know, for to have mentorship when we talk about kind of this this pipeline issue mm-hmm. that always comes up with, with technology and, and also with design. You know, it's important to have people, I think, you know, I think and I'm speaking specifically for, for black people that uh-huh. you have someone that really looks like you, that can understand where you are and where you're coming from to really kind of help you out with, with nurturing your talent. So I think that is that is super important. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and of all the people I've mentioned, Jim Seal is, I think, the only white person that I mentioned in there. But everyone else was black. And like I say, Jerry Redmond is... If if anything, I would trigger him to being just that spark, just, you know, seeing that, yeah, you can't make a living doing this, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do you really sort of get your creativity um, at times when you might be feeling a bit uninspired? With everything, I try to the best. I, I used to do this more often than not, but I try now to just set up a, a quick little prayer, you know, before I start and ask God to just let me represent him in my work. And mm-hmm. from there, I usually hit sites like Behance, Creative Block. I used to go to Smashing Magazine a lot. But uh, I usually hit sites like that for my inspiration. And sometimes just regular Google images, you know, and just search for the right thing. And what I usually do is I'll, I will make me a folder and call it Inspiration, you know. And mm-hmm. I'll just go to these different sites and I'll see things I like and I'll pull them. And I don't copy the designs, but... I think what I'm doing is just building up my cachet, my mind of, of ideas. And from there, you know, I usually start creating. But for the most part, I try to do some research on the project, you know, that I'm doing, whether it's something for sports or something for, I would say, uh, the biology program or, you know, a science program or, you know, maybe it's a play bill, show, uh, play handbill or something like that. I usually try to just do my best to research it, you know, and before I start. Mm-hmm. Now, I think when people think about Mississippi, and I, I would even extend this to say when people think about the South mm-hmm. in general, design is not really something that that comes up. Like, I don't think the South really gets a lot of recognition when it comes to uh-huh. that, that sort of yeah. thing. And and we were sort of talking earlier before we started recording about kind of what the, the general – current design landscape really sort of a, of looks like or is there a, like a particular trend or anything in the design community that you think needs to go away i would think i don't know i, I look at a lot of agencies and when i look at their about us page where you know uh-huh. a lot of them have you know pictures of you know who works there and it's very seldom that i see people that look like me and i don't know why that is I guess cause, I mean because there there are pe- plenty of people like me who can design. They can design their butts off, you know. And just for some reason we're not there. I remember I was thinking about moving one time to Alabama. We had been to a church conference there and you know, I liked it. I like Birmingham so much and I was like, let me see what's there, you know, for for black people 
or, or not black people, for designers. And I ran across this site called O2 Ideas. And I went to their about page, and O2 Ideas about page was probably, probably 30 people long, you know, 30 photographs. So I'm looking, and I'm trying to find the owner, you know. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find the owner just by looking at the page. I'm clicking over these names, and they're telling me what these people do. And I do a lot of Googling. So I, I Googled again, O2 Ideas owner or something like that. And his name, Shelly Smith, kept popping up. Uh-huh. I'm like, who is Shelly Smith? So I go back to the website, and I do a, uh, I'm working on a Mac, so I do a Command F and type in Shelly Smith. And lo and behold, Shelly Smith is this black man down towards the bottom of the page. And so I said, who, let me look up Shelly Smith and see what he's about. So mm-hmm. I look him up, and Shelly Smith was a DJ in Birmingham back in the 60s. And what happened was Shelly Smith's story was he went to a hat shop one day and this white guy waited on him. And the guy was so nice that Shelly said, hmm, I need somebody to sell my ads. I'm going to go back and ask this guy, you know, hey, would you come sell ads for me? Because nobody would, would buy from a black man at that time. So Shelly went back to the guy and the guy was like, I don't know anything about selling ads. And he was like, look, you sold me the hat. You know, you sold me the suit. You can do it. So he taught, he yeah. taught the guy. And they pretty much form O2 Ideas. And to this day, they have clients like Toys R Us and Home Depot. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're a big-name company. What I admired about their site was on their About page, man, it looked like it was just diverse. I mean, it was black, white, Latinos, Asian. It mm-hmm. was everybody, you know, which told me they hired the best people for the jobs, not based on color, you know. Let's explore that a little bit, because that's, that's interesting that you just said there. So when when I hear the diversity talk, mm-hmm. and particularly it is you know around either speaker panels or hiring or things like that, the argument that tends to come up is that we're just hiring for the best talent. Mm-hmm. Like we're not hiring towards a specific – like we're not trying to hit a minority quota. We're not trying to have this many blacks, this many Asians, et cetera. Yeah. But like you said, you know, with O2 Ideas, you you kind of flip that. You said like there, you can tell that they're looking for the best talent. They're not just hiring based off of color. What do you make of that? I don't know. You know, it could be that they they got that from their catalyst. You know, I mean, from their their start. I mean, their owner knew what it was like to be discriminated against. You know, mm-hmm. and for that reason, he probably didn't. He probably set that tone in his company. Hey, this is not what we're going to do. You know, that's what I gather from that. So maybe there needs yeah. to be more, more of us at those higher kind of design levels to make those decisions when it comes to that. I think so. And, and even then, you know, I would say because one of my one of my goals is to eventually own, I would say a multicultural firm, design firm. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I want everybody in there, but you're there because you're the best at what you do. Not because of your color, not because of who you know, you know. But that's what I would want, and I think if more of us were in those positions, we could make those decisions, you know, who to hire. And like I said, not based on their skin color, but based on a quality portfolio and a soundtrack record and, you know, somebody who can who can actually get the job done. So I think, in, you know, in that vein, it is... It can be about entrepreneur, well, excuse me, about entrepreneurship, but it can also be about, you know, just making sure that you have that inclusive environment that mm-hmm. is welcome enough for everyone to work there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I find that, and this is just from what I've heard from talking with other designers. You know, nobody wants to be the the lone minority oh, at a place. Like it's a it's a lonely feeling. There are certain microaggressions that, that can come along with that. And I don't think that that's necessarily understood by the mainstream design community. I don't know if that's something that is, is readily understood. Yeah, it's, I, I had an experience kind of like that. I, uh, when I was doing my intern, I was one of two blacks with an office. You know, this was uh-huh. a, a plant-type setting. And so I would come, when I would come in, I would clock in and, now I walk past the plant area where, you know, all the people are, you know, assembling, you know, where's the lamps or light fixtures or whatever. And mm-hmm. I would walk to the back to my office. And um, there was this one black lady up, up front. And, 
besides myself, you know, everybody else was white, you know, and it does feel a certain way, you know. I feel it's it's weird, you know. <laughs> no, I know I know exactly what you mean. It's hard to it can be a little hard to kind of verbalize it, but it is an odd feeling. It is. Because you're sticking out in a way that, 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 quite frankly, the reason that you're sticking out is not because of your work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're sticking out just because you exist exactly. in this space. Like, that's it. You're just here. Exactly. You know. <laughs> Which can put a lot of undue, you know, stress and things when you're just there to do your job. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And then you've got this sort of added, and it, it may seem like it's added pressure. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it mm-hmm. isn't. But there can be this pressure, you know, when you're the only person there, when you are the minority and the majority. And it's I don't think that's talked about enough. Yeah. I really don't. I feel like that is is swept under the rug, particularly when it comes to, you know, diversity and like pulling up your bootstraps and all this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They don't really talk about. And it's it's so interesting. I mean, we're going to, you know, air this in the future. Yeah. But right now mm-hmm. we're recording this. This is it's Geek Mental Health Week. Mm-hmm recording in like the last week of October, uh-huh. but this is geek mental health week. Gotcha. And so there's a lot of stuff that's going on now about like talking about, you know, depression and anxiety and things like that. But these are, are types of things that I think affect designers of color when you're in those types of environments and you don't even expect it. You just want to go, you just want to do your job. You just want to be there and do the work that you have to do and not, you know, end up being subjected to something just because of the color of your skin. That's true. I totally agree. And nothing ever, nothing ever happened to me there, but it, it, it just felt weird. Yeah. You know? uh, and, and for people that are listening, I'm not saying that, I mean, we're not talking about anything overt, like someone running up and calling you the N word or something like yeah. that, but it's, it's small things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's microaggressions. Like what I talked about earlier, it's small things that you may not even realize it if you're saying it or doing it, but the way the other person, you know, kind of feels it and perceives it, it's like the little, slings and arrows you know what i mean exactly so let's let's kind of shift gears here a little bit who's offered you some of the most useful career advice and what was that advice Mm, i think the most useful was offered to me by a good friend his his name is tommy verdale and tommy's a real smart guy uh mississippi state educated architect and uh tommy told me let me see if i can phrase this right tommy said basically to always make yourself or, or always Pretty much be a man of your word and be dependable. If people feel they can depend on you, they will take you a long way. And he's right. You know, I would advise any young designer or old designer to, you know, be a man of your word. If you say you're going to get that project done, you know, by this time, get it done by that time. And don't don't play around with it, you know, because all you have in this word, this world is your word. And, and that's it, yeah. you know. So I would say that's probably the most useful advice that I, I carry with me daily, you know. What has been your biggest kind of asset or tool to success? That's a good question. I would say my ability to, I'm probably an introverted person if you met me, you know, but online I reach out to a lot of people. I mean, if you're there, hey, I'm going to shoot you a message. I'm going to inbox you, you know, and I'm not afraid to ask questions. I see a lot of people who do a lot of good things design-wise and, you know, just photo processes and techniques and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I will track down that person online. I guess you can call me a cyberstalker sometimes, but uh, <laughs> I, will, I will track them down and I will I will ask them, hey, man, how, how did you do that? You know, sometimes there are people, some people will will, will respond kindly and tell you, hey, you know, they may, they may point you to a YouTube tutorial or something like that. And then some, I had this one guy tell me, he pretty much can tell me because that's how he makes his money, you know. Huh. And I'm like, wow. And I'm thinking about the uh, podcast I listened to today with Seth Funches where he talked about your knowledge not being your own. You know, you got it from somebody else, you know. Mm-hmm. Why not share it? And, you know, but for the most part, I would say just my ability to reach out to people to say, hey, how did you do this? Or, hey, you know, who do you know if these people need any freelance help? I recently reached out to this guy. His name is Buddy Overstreet, and he used to be creative director for University of Alabama's athletic department. And I mm-hmm. uh, reached out to him via Facebook, and I talked to him a couple of times and talked to him recently and showed him my latest football stuff from Jackson State and just asked his take on it. And I, I knew he would be honest. 
And his response was like, man, you're really building this brand. I mean, this really looks, it looks really nice. You know, he told me that he gave me this Twitter handle to follow. It was called In the Trenches. So I followed In the Trenches and, you know, shot the guy some of my work. And I've I just been getting Twitter, Twitter followers since, you know, and these are people from big schools, you know, uh, Arkansas, Tennessee. And these are creative directors from those places, you know, and they're bragging on the work. And I think that's cool, you know, I mean, because before then, I mean, the only people saw it was me and, you know, my circle. You know, but now I'm sharing it on Twitter and, you know, these people are liking it and following it and asking me questions. I'm like, wow, this is cool. You know, if you could choose any space in the world and make a design for it, where do you think it would be and what would you make? Hmm. Any space in the world. Hmm? Define space, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, any public space. It could be, you know, like a big installation it could be someone's house it can be anything have you seen the philadelphia mural project no i haven't heard of that okay do a search when you get a chance uh go to this this website called blue cadet blue cadet studios they recently did like a an interactive feature on the philadelphia mural project And, and in philadelphia pennsylvania they pretty much have all these murals that are like on the sides of buildings and some of them look almost 3D. You know, uh, they had this huge one of Dr. J and these just, I mean, some that they look like like Michelangelo's paintings or whatever, but they're, they're black people or people of color. You know, that's pretty cool. And I guess I'm saying all that to say I'm thinking about my hometown. I'm from a small town called Itabena, Mississippi. And okay. um, there are a lot of old dilapidated buildings there. And um, I think something like that would be cool. You know, if I could, I'm not a painter, but... If I could design something in Photoshop and maybe do some kind of wall installations or wall wraps or something like that, you know, never thought about environmental design uh, like that. But your question, you know, makes me think of that, you know, something to, to beautify that town. I got you. I got you. Is there anything in particular that you're excited about at the moment? Right now, I'm excited about I'm learning. I'm getting into web design okay. and uh, I'm playing around with this program called Macaw. And uh, ah. Macaw, do you know about Macaw? Okay, okay. I'm playing around with it, and uh, I've had it for a while, but honestly, uh, I'm usually so busy freelance-wise that I don't get a chance to do anything for myself. And I downloaded, I saw my call on Kickstarter, and I've had it for a while, and now I'm just finally getting a chance to play around with it. I was playing around with it Saturday night, and I was like, wow, this is this is so straightforward, you know, and uh, it works a lot like how I work. So, and I've, I've played around with web web design a little bit in the past i've even done a couple of sites but they've always been maybe more of a headache you know and just one of those projects where i'm like man i'm just ready to be done with this you know but uh with macaw it just works you know and i'm going to kind of balance those two between macaw and muse Mm -hmm. to see which one i like best but uh other than that excitement wise uh i'm excited about i guess the new new twitter followings i'm getting and, and just posting stuff to that and for far as I know, I'm the only black guy, you know, on that on that handle, you know, and uh-huh. uh, it's pretty good. The, the feedback I've been getting is pretty good, you know. So, do you have any plans for the rest of the year? I know we don't have that that much longer left in this year. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope to get my website up soon and my photography site up. I uh, I took up photography about two years ago and. Um, a lot of people ask me for a web address, and I don't have one. I just have, you know, my Facebook page for it. But I would like to see both of those up for the by, by the end of the year. Oh, you got to get a website. I mean, if you're using I know Macaw or using Muse, you got to get that. I know you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see yourself in the next like five years or so? Next five years, I would love to. I'd love to be doing this on my own, maybe focusing on university, colleges and universities or maybe just HBCUs. You know, there is a market there. And like you said at the beginning, most schools don't have in-house designers. You know, a lot of companies come and they do work for these schools, but they can't they can't capture the essence of these schools, you know, because they didn't have that HBCU experience, you know. For right. So uh, I would love to be on my own with my own company capturing that market, you know. And let me tell you, that is a huge untapped market, I feel yeah. like. 
just like I mentioned, you know, earlier in the podcast about the work that I'm doing mm-hmm. with AIGA. So I have to look at a lot of HBCU websites and wow. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It, there is an untapped market for HBCU website design because some of them range. I mean, and, and I don't want to say that it's all about necessarily design, mm-hmm. but it, there's definitely something that has to be done in terms of like user experience. Mm-hmm. Like just finding some things is so difficult, and hope- you know, it, and some some sites are you know really out of out of date just design wise. So I totally agree. There, there's definitely opportunities there, so I, I think you could probably capitalize on that sooner than later. Yeah, and, and um, the other thing is a lot of, you wouldn't believe a lot of the schools don't have vector logos. You know, they don't have logo standards. They don't have brand standards. You know, the seal is being used for everything. There, there's just things like that that uh, a lot of HBCUs aren't taking advantage of, you know, or, or they don't have anyone there to take advantage of or to, to show them a the proper way to use these things, you know. So, like you said, that that is a that's a big market. That's so interesting. Not even vector logos. Yeah, man. I think about even here. There's still some logos that people request here that aren't vectorized, you know, and it's because they never had anybody in place to do that. So they just like made it in Photoshop or something. Correct. So you you may get a a JPEG or you know. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. I'm sorry, yeah. but wow. Oh, no, you're, you're, Seriously, wow. that's what you would get, you know. See, there's there's an opportunity mm-hmm. there. Yep, yep. Get that service out there. I'm pretty sure there are. I'm just even thinking, I mean, I went to, to Morehouse, and mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about my alma mater's website and how bad it mm-hmm. is. Like, yeah, yeah, there's an opportunity there. Exactly. <laughs> just to bring things into the 21st century. Exactly. You know, because one thing that, that I know, and I don't know, and maybe you can answer this, are there sort of particular trends as it comes, you know, when it comes down to, education and like university design are there any sort of special considerations like more things for mobile or or what is there any sort of special things we need to know about Um, i think they need to move towards mobile more okay i think and i know with hbcus people for some reason like to see paper (laughs) you know they they want Mm -hmm. want it printed out when you know everything that need to be printed out because yeah. Kids these days are, are using their phones, their iPads. Now, Jackson State has a great thing going on here. They have an iPad initiative where uh, every incoming freshman gets an iPad, you know. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and um, there's all... I, I've never heard of that for an HBCU. Oh, That's a- oh, yeah, man, it's big. We actually have... We are an Apple distinguished school. And matter of fact, Apple's coming on campus, I think, next week, I think, or week, week sure. maybe a week after that. But anyway... Yeah, Jackson State is moving. I think we're we're top of a lot of uh, predominantly white schools when it comes to technology and how we're integrating it in the classrooms. You know, we just opened a a create center and an innovate center, and and the innovate center, the innovate center is geared more towards faculty. Uh-huh. And what what it does is it gives faculty uh, the ability to go in and first of all, it's a state of art area, new furniture, everything's ergonomical and it basically gives them a space to go and create things for their students, whether it be podcast or, you know, audio or visual podcasts or just whatever they need to be able to, they have those tools in there to be able to create. And we just, about two weeks ago, we opened the Create Center. And the Create Center is geared towards students. And, and there they have, it's, it's basically a lab where students can go in and like every program pretty much known to man that Adobe makes or, you know, pretty much anybody makes is on those systems. And students can go in there and create. They can print 3D. They can just do whatever they need to for class. So basically, there is no excuse anymore, <laughs> you know. So Jack- Jackson State is doing big. They're making, I think they're. That is huge. Yeah. I'm super surprised to hear about something like that coming out of an HBCU. Oh, man. Like I told you, uh, Apple's coming in a few weeks. They're coming to view it, and they're bringing people from other predominantly white schools to see it, you know, because uh-huh. nobody else is doing it in the country. Some schools are doing it, but they're not doing it at that level, you know. So, yeah, we're doing, doing big things here, man. We just had a cyber learning summit, like, last, I think it was last, uh, last spring. And um, mm-hmm. uh, that was pretty big, and I think we're having another one of those, but... You know, technology, getting back to the technology thing, I think HBCUs can do a better job of moving towards that. 
and maybe doing away with with so much paper, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, because every like I said, technology is the wave of the future, you know, and or it is it is now, you know, and it's it's ever evolving, you know. Yeah. And um, there there's one HBCU website. I'm not going to name the mm-hmm. name. But there's one site I went to, and every link is a PDF, <laughs> which blew my mind because I was just looking for something like a really simple. I was just looking for the contact information for the art department, and like every link is a PDF. And it's not even like an OCR PDF. Yeah. It's like someone scanned in a sheet of paper, yeah. and <laughs> it's lopsided and a little color corrected, and everything was a PDF. I'm like, how am I supposed to that? This is ridiculous. Man, I, how is someone supposed to find information this way? I believe you. I mean, I was somewhere. I won't name what school, but I, <laughs> I asked a lady to to send me. Oh man, what was it? I, oh, I know it was a form she wanted me to redesign. I asked her to send it to me, and uh, I, I was like, you know, send me your Word document or your PDF. And so she sends mm-hmm. it to me, and I open it, and she basically. Took it, took the original file that she printed out, scanned it back in, and sent it to me. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a big education gap that needs to take, I mean, that needs to, that is present, you know. And, uh, well, well, well and, and let's talk about that just a little bit. I mean, not necessarily about education, but so when I talk to a lot of HBCUs, the main thing that I hear from them about, you know, maybe a lack of a, a design program or an arts program or things like this boils down to funding. Is this something that Jackson State has kind of cracked the code on or, or how does that work out? I don't think so. I think I think Jackson State maybe is more intentional about where it puts its dollars, you know. Okay. Uh, now some HBCUs do go through funding issues. I know at Valley, because of the low enrollment, we were going through funding issues, you know. Jackson State doesn't have that problem. Uh, we are having record number enrollments, you know. So that's a problem that's not unique. I mean, that's not, yeah, unique here. But some, you know, to be fair, some do go through those problems, you know, where money can't be put towards this. And that's why they don't have, say, in-house designers. And they, you know, but I I feel like they probably waste more money in hiring a lot of outside firms to come in and do some kind of market research and turn you something around that's really not for your school. You know, I mean, like at Valley, we had something like that to go on where this company came in and did this research and wrote this stuff and, you know, they turned it back around to us and I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, this is dated. You know, this look, I mean, everything about it is dated, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I think schools would do a better job or, or do themselves a better service by, I don't know, maybe getting someone who has that HBCU experience to tell their story, you know, because uh, like I said, everybody can't tell their story. Right. You know? Well, hey, you know, this interview is probably giving you ideas for that entrepreneur. It is. It is. (laughs) Because, I mean, in terms of consulting, I mean, on design, on things like this, I feel like more HBCUs can really start to to sort of come into the 21st century as it relates to this. Because, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of black students that go, of course, they go to HBCUs. That's in the name. But, you know, we I think when people tend to think about HBCUs, it's more along the lines of maybe the sciences or, you know, business or something like that. And not necessarily for things like art and design. So those programs are are just as fundamental. So, you know, this is it's a it's a good thing. But let's just kind of wrap things up. Don't want to keep you too long. Where can our audience find out more about you online? Like I said, I don't have a fa- I mean, I don't have a website yet. Same on me, uh, but I will have one up soon. But for now, you can reach me on Facebook. My name is D'Artagnan. It's D A R T A G N A N Winford. You can also follow me on Twitter. It's D A W five sixty at Twitter. On okay. Twitter, uh, well at D A W five sixty. And I used to have a Coraflot account. It is Coraflot. C O R O F L O T dot com slash D A W five sixty. And is, do you still keep that active? The, it, the it, it is. It has some of my older Valley work on it, but I'll, I'll update it soon. Awesome. Sounds good. D'Artagnan Winford, thank you again so much for reaching out to be on the show. I think it was really good just to talk with you about 
HBCUs and design. I mean, we did an HBCU month back in June. So, and I went, I mean, I graduated from HBCU. My mom works in HBCU. I have a very keen interest in HBCUs in general. So just to be able to talk with someone that is doing design and HBCU at this level is really good. And just to share your insights and how you got started and everything. I think people really get a lot from this interview. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. Thanks to D'Artagnan Winford for a great interview. And of course, thanks to you for tuning in. Uh, you can find out more about D'Artagnan at the links that we're going to have in the show notes. You can just head on over to revisionpath.com. Check those out. Uh, of course, much thanks to our lovely sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. MailChimp has you covered when it comes to emails. They send out over 500 million emails a day. So you know that's legit. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. And, of course, there's Hover. Hover makes registering and domain names super, super easy. When you've got a great idea and you want to secure a domain name for it, head on over to Hover. Purchase your next domain with them and save 10% off your purchase by using the promo code 50episodes. And, of course, again, there's our survey. I want you to go to revisionpath.com forward slash survey. Fill that out. You'll automatically be put into a drawing for a $100 Amazon.com gift card. That'll be something really great for the holidays. You can have some extra spending money. So please, it takes about maybe about 15, 20 minutes to fill out the survey. It's a pretty long survey, but we really, really need your feedback. So it's very important that you check that out. Now, this episode was edited by RJ Basilio and mixed by yours truly. Um, Our intro is by the talented music band Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio titled They See Me Growing is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud as well. Leave a rating and a review. It really means a lot, and it helps get the show out so, so much. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and let us know. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level to show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.